welcome to Slash Report. I'm Peru, and I'm joined by my eternal partner in all crimes, MK. Hello. Not all crimes. All crimes. <laughs> Not if the government comes calling. All crimes! <laughs> no! Interpol! Remember this name! No! <laughs> and uh, with that auspicious beginning, we are kicking off part two of our Ask Us Anything episodes. Uh, when we asked you to ask us anything, you guys asked us a lot of things. Um, so when we, so many we were over an hour into recording, we still had like 50 questions left. We're like, all right, we'll make this a two-parter. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Excellent. Um, Anon. Um, sorry, I don't know what this shorthand S slash P. Uh, I don't know. All right. So anyways, Anon, something about Cap 2. Is it just me or is Marvel doing this quietly consistent thing about the courage of nerds? Fitz's tearful defiance of Hydra moron in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., unassuming nerd in Cap 2 who refuses to launch sequence. It may just be what I want to see. But I love that amidst the big, sexy, loud, masculine hero moments, they always make it a point to show what courage looks like when you're a man who is all brains and heart, no brawn. What do you guys think? I don't think that I agree with you, and I do think it's very, uh, it's a pointed inclusion. I don't think it's specifically about nerds. I think that it's specifically about if you are a regular person, and it's like in order to be courageous and in order to be a superhero... All you have to do is be willing to make the correct or the good choice, even if it's hard at the, at that specific moment, you don't have to be cap. You don't have to be the Hulk. You don't have to be Tony Stark. Like it can be Fitz. It can be that guy with the launch sequences. It can be a nerd. It can be anybody. Right. Like, like remember in um, the Avengers movie where Loki was like trying to make those people in Berlin kneel and the Holocaust survivor refused? Yeah. Like, I think that's another clear moment of that. But I do think it's intentional. I think this is a moment where you should go and reread uh, Average Avengers, whatever, you know. Um, number seven by Hetra Z. Yeah. Because that's just like a nice fic that is like mostly Jen and just summarizes all of that for you. It's also uh, it's also a brilliant story that um, really actually captures the New Yorkness of New York really, <laughs> really well. It's like as, I remember as I was reading it, I was texting there because it is literally the only story I've ever read that talks about like Scabby the Union Rat, and like you have to have lived here way too long to have like interacted with that fucking thing. So it's for people who like want to figure out like, oh, I really want to write like a New York based story about the Avengers, but like, am I getting the tone right? Like read average Avengers number seven. It'll help you. Good. Um, another Anon. I just listened to the Clamp episode of the podcast, and I think something that you didn't mention that makes the Rainbow Bridge incident all the more painful is that in one of those flashback side stories when Seishiro kills his mother, she <laughs> says that he will be killed by the person he loves. Which is when my emotions short-circuited, and now I can't feel anything ever again. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. Good. I'm glad that, like, you've just shared that pain with Prue. I've broken her. And what is it? Yeah, we are, like, four minutes into this podcast, and you broke her. I hate everything. I can't wait for Hoyden to hit this point. Fuck. <laughs> Clamp. Fucking clamp real hard. 
Okay, another one. Anon, I'm just listening to the recap episode, and in light of recent events, the fact that you called S.H.I.E.L.D. a Hydra monster of various <laughs> agencies is hilarious. Yes. Yeah. That was some unintentional spoilers right there. I'm apparently psychic. Who knew? Yeah. Oh, and you hate psychics, so this is you. great. It's like, ex- I, like I hate myself. <laughs> I'm unsurprised. Another Anon. Any chance of another podfic episode? No. MK does not like podfic, so unlikely. Sadly, guys. I like podfic. I just think we've talked about it and it's done. (laughs) There are some things that I think, like, you know, if we did another episode, it would be, like, ten minutes long. Yeah. And be fair. Yeah. I feel like... And I also feel like to... If we were to do another podfic episode, we would have to, like... We'd have to pull an inception. Like, we have to go deeper. And neither of us are really active enough in podficking or involved enough that we would do the topic justice. So I feel like if you guys really want a podficking episode, I mean, come on, guys. Like, podfickers, you're good at recording audio. Like, get on that. (laughs) Yeah, do it. Plus, we have other stuff that we have to talk about first. But the list of episodes that we need to do in my inbox is ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, I just thought of another one, by the way. Sidebar. Good job, buddy. We should do an episode about Miss Fisher's Mysteries. We should do an episode about Miss Fisher's Mysteries. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anonymous. Alexander Pierce's argument was definitely understandable. I kind of want to fic where the high school valedictorian who was supposed to be... (laughs) One of the bajillions of victims grows up to be a supervillain just because I believe in Steve. I believe that Steve was right and Pierce was wrong, but that doesn't mean that there isn't anything factual about Pierce's argument, and I want to see the fallout of that, preferably next to others from that list, but who prove to be harmless or capable of overcoming themselves. I have no idea what this is about. I do I do know what this is about. I think that you, Anon, you and I have pretty drastically different interpretations of um, how like the list that the fucking what were they called the what were the three hell like the inside system was targeting so i believe that probably the inside system was targeting people who had the potential based on like algorithms and math to develop into people who would do great but i also think that the inside system was targeting people who might make problems for the inside system um like, which is why they would target Tony, which is why they would target Steve, which is why they would target, like, the loyal S.H.I.E.L.D. people. Um, so while I get that, I mean, that's, like, a type of, like, a dark story that I feel like I would not be interested in reading. Um, I, this is, like, the weird sort of reasonless optimism that I suffer. It's just, like, a, it's like that movie Thought Crimes. Does anyone remember that? Where yeah. People used to get, like, the, the premise is that there are three psychics, and they read the future, and there's, like, a certain percentage likelihood that something will actually come to pass, but that people are being arrested for crimes that, like, they may not even premeditate. It's just, like, there is a potential, given these circumstances, that it will happen, and it's a high likelihood, so they're being preemptively arrested. And I'm like, you can never know, right? It's the whole premise of, it's the premise upon which the U.S. legal system aspires I don't know if we ever really reach it or if we're even close to it right now where we would rather let like guilty men free than trap free men in prison it's like it's that whole thing right so I feel like it would be upsetting if that did happen but I feel like Steve would not feel bad about it like because 
of the 90 people they would have shot in the head um, who had the potential to go bad, if only one valedictorian did, that's fine. Okay, I only got like half of that, but that's <laughs> cool. I got your question and on. I gotcha. Yeah, sometimes you get one of us, and sometimes you get both of us. That's right. <laughs> Mystery. Um, of seven C's, I just listened to your recap episode, and as the person who asked about the social network, Prue, I'm so sorry for making you cry. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, disentanglement turned me into a sobbing wreck. It does make me feel better. I'm glad. Your tears compensate me for my tears. Can I just say, recently I was in, like, a dark spot where, like, there was, I think, a week where just, like, no fanfic that I wanted to read was posted, and I almost went and read, like, Social Network RPS again. <laughs> I was like, well, that giraffe thing was pretty good. At, there's probably right. something else. The giraffe thing is pretty good. You could always read the um, amazing Orpheus. Uh, it's not RPS. But it's the amazing Orpheus social network fic, I think, written by November Smith. I think I only want the RPS partly because I've never seen that movie and I don't want to. And because I also hate Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. I think Facebook is the dumbest thing. I don't understand being on Facebook. I don't understand, like, I'm on it, but literally to send my mom pictures of my cats because that makes her happy. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm on there. And when people are like, why didn't you see this on my Facebook wall? I'm like, because I'm never on Facebook. I'm on Facebook if I had an, an invite to a party. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to that party. No, I'm not going to that party. Yeah, I'm like the worst because people will send me invites on Facebook. I think most of them have wisely given up now. But people used to send me invites on Facebook and then be like, why did you answer this? And I was like, do you realize I have not logged into Facebook since like 2011? I just have like zero, like negative interest in Facebook. I'm like, please don't go on Facebook. It's the worst. Yeah, I mean like, but uh, anyways, the point is. Social network fandom is just, like, built for you if you, like, want to be unhappy. I don't want to be unhappy. Oh, you know what I did also read other than the draft notes? What? Uh, the one where Andrew Garfield gets hit on the head on the set of Spider-Man 2 and has amnesia. <laughs> I mean, I wish that had really happened because then maybe it would have, like, stopped the production of Spider-Man 2 well, and spared me some of the pain that I experienced as Spider-Man 2. Rereading it recently after listening to the Spider-Man episode was great because the story was so hopeful that Spider-Man 2 would be great. Yeah, so we were all so wrong. <laughs> You're so wrong! But, like, knowing that, I'm like, maybe it's because he got hit on the head. I know. I'm going to tell myself that. You should. Um, Anonymous, Baby's First Fandom, Pop Slash, Jesus, That Hurt to Type, Totally Had Yahoo Lists, Zines, Videos Made by Fans, Humor Pages, and Pictures Upon Pictures. Does anyone remember, quote, visuals or vizies? Basically, PWP, but put on the list serves. I feel old, but I'm going to represent. I don't remember this at all, but well, to be fair, I wasn't in Pop Slash, but that's crazy. That's, like, so sex stories were just called Vizzies? That's hilarious. I feel like it's, like, one of those things where it's very specific to different fandoms, right? Like, Sailor yeah. Moon had very specific mailing list language that I haven't seen in other fandoms. Yeah, definitely. That's crazy. I love that, though. Taxonomy. It shows you, like, the hugeness and, like, the variety and depth. Yeah. It always makes me happy that fandom is so full of variety. Yeah. Um, anonymous, important question. What would make me sound the most like a babbling fool? The plot of the last four seasons of Supernatural, or 
the plotline of the fourth season finale episode of Hawaii Five-O. <laughs> that one episode was a tangled web of crazy string. You know what? This is so funny. We can't even compare because you haven't seen Supernatural and I haven't seen Hawaii Five-O. Yeah, I think both of us would be able to argue for our side, except that we can't argue against the other one unless we took like an hour. I know, but clearly, Anand, you're the person who, like, has inflicted both upon herself, so you would have to be your own judge and jury. Yeah, though I'm gonna say, seeing as I haven't seen those four seasons of Supernatural, I think you should merge them. Uh, no. I'm the worst. Yeah. Another Anand, I found your podcast a week ago, and I really have to struggle to keep myself from laughing out loud in public so passersby don't think I'm a crazy person. I'm sorry. <laughs> Real sorry, Anon. <laughs> Anyways, I listened to episode 406, and y'all didn't mention this fix series, Dyslexiaverse, by Who's Your Bitch? Who's Your Bitch? All right, whatever. Yeah. Um... The third fic in the series, Past Tense, is wonderful and beautiful. Also, I didn't finish your latest, but the mention of the BBS system reminded me of this free video game called Digital, A Love Story. Uh, haven't played it. Maybe we'll look it up, but also just bulletin board systems drive me crazy. There's yeah, they're really inefficient for organization. I mean, like, I totally understood their place. Like, they're useful for certain types of things. But in terms of, like, current usage, I feel like the only bulletin board system that works is, like, a meta filter. That's fair. There's one that I still go to, and I hate it. Like, I hate going there, but I have to because it's the only place that has this stuff. Is this Aaron fantasy? Like, are you trying no. to sound like a pervert? Like, no! What? No! I was talking about the mobile read fit BBS. What is that? Is, yeah. Oh, that's for hacking your Kindle, It's right? for hacking your Kindle or other <laughs> e-reader, right? And I do a lot of hacking of my e-readers. That's the only place you can get the builds and stuff. Yeah, I don't fuck with that shit because I don't actually mind what my Kindle looks like. Um, as for Who's Your Bitch, uh, I actually have wrecked the Dyslexiaverse on my pinboard before, so. Good pick. Yeah, it's a really good story. It is very, very, it's it's really, really emotionally resonant, and it's really upsetting when you read it, though. So, like, just just be in a good place when you read it. Or, like, want a good cry. Okay. Yeah. Um, anonymous. Hello. I'm not sure if this question has ever been asked, but would you guys ever consider doing the social network? Okay, guys, I could be persuaded to do a social network episode, but I would need to find, like, the right people. Obviously, MK is not going to touch that with a 40-foot pole. You would also and need I, a lot of alcohol. Yeah, and I also feel like it's it's one that it would be tough to do because, the in case you guys don't, like, in case anyone, like, is listening to this and doesn't know what social network is, the social network is the movie about the creation of Facebook. And the fandom is, like, a weird semi-RPF fandom. I don't even think it's an RPF fandom fully, right? It's real people, but it's a, it's fan fiction about fictionalized versions of real people. So it's a really odd sort of duck out there in fandom. Like, I just don't know that there's a lot to talk about in terms of that fandom. Like, because I feel like the one thing that we would all agree on is that we're really sad. Um, and that everything is terrible, and that 
like it's really upsetting and that Eduardo is a deer and that we all made some bad choices and ended up in this fucking alley snorting like ground up social network off of like a prostitute's butt like there's really not much else to say about it way to sell it I would say that the other issue is timeliness so while I know that there's a lot of value in uh like I mean a lot of you even in the last ask us anything in this ask us anything have mentioned that like you just started listening to the podcast now and I think that's great and if you find an old episode I'm sure it's hilarious to hear us being like shit do you think this is gonna happen and knowing what actually happens yeah I'm laughing at our pain But it would be really hard for us to talk about something a certain amount of time after it has happened. I don't think we're as good at it with, like, a certain amount of distance. Yeah, and also I feel like there's, um, there's, there are certain fandoms that I feel confident in giving, like, a holistic, like, overview of having looked back on it with the benefit of time, like, when we did our Stargate Atlantis episode, I was, like, totally comfortable doing that because I was, like, really in it. Yeah. To Stargate, right? Like, we read everything. We did everything, whatever. Like, I came to Social Network late. Um, I hung around, read everything, like, upset myself unduly, and then, like, pieced out of there. So I just don't – I like, I wasn't part of the initial wave. Uh, I don't think that – I just don't think that, like, we would give it a fair shot. And honestly speaking, like I said, like, I just don't know that there's that much to discuss about it. There's also, like, I think it's more interesting to you guys if it happens at a certain time. And, like, Social Network, how long has it been since that movie came out? Uh, several years. Yeah. Which, like, it doesn't seem like several years to me, but, you know, it's not like we're looking back at, like, a, a big thing that affected us a lot. It's like a thing that, ha- it was like you had a one-night stand. I did. I had a really regrettable one-night stand, and it took forever to give him his pants back. Basically. Yeah. All right, next one. Anonymous. Is it just me, or has the overall quality of fic improved in the last five years or so? Stylistically, it seems more sophisticated. Do we think that's the evolution of fandom and increasingly text-based culture, or my willful self-delusion and gross elitism? Uh, you might just be better at finding good fic now. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's the way that if you look back on the stories that you read when you just started in fandom and thought were amazing, they're almost always like, oh, good God. And it's not because, like, in general, although I feel like in general fandom has become a little more sophisticated, I think that we just read different things once we know where to look for it, and, like, as our tastes mature. Because when you started in fandom five years ago, you were younger and you liked different things. And now you're older and you like different things. And it fits better. It's like the way that I look back on, like, the ex... Okay, so I went on this terrible journey of discovery a couple months ago where I went to the old, like, fluky at Gossamer archive and I downloaded a bunch of fanfic that I used to love for X-Files. That's a mistake. Oh my god, it was such a mistake. But basically, I just went through and I pulled all the stories that I remember being, like, amazing and groundbreaking and so cool, and they were not amazing and groundbreaking and so cool. (laughs) I mean, they were amazing and groundbreaking and so cool to, like, back then, but not anymore. Um, Yeah, I I don't necessarily, I feel like at any given time, there's good and bad fic. I feel like style genuinely does change in fandom, but overall quality is mostly just going to be a matter of, like, where you're reading and who you're reading. Well, there's also, like, I mean, we've discussed before that there are certain verbal tics that develop throughout fandom and change drastically over time, right? So 
I saw a post on my dash the other day where someone was like, anytime I see this line, I am instantly reminded of Stargate Atlantis and everything that was written on LiveJournal during a specific time period because that's, it's in like every fic from that time. And this is the thing where like you don't see that in books because the publishing industry wants everything to be like pretty much the same because they know what sells and what doesn't sell and it's harder to take risks. Um, but like the language of fandom changes so much that something that I might have thought was amazing at the time might still be technically amazing, but I look at the style that it's written in and I'm like, oh, gross, that's so old. Right, and then there's also like content issues, right? So like the thing that you run into now if you are trying to get into SGA or, like, reread. Don't ask, don't a tell. Lot of it, yeah, a lot of it, like, just reads hollow and weird because a huge portion of that fanfic dealt with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and it's not it's not that it's totally irrelevant anymore, but as, insofar as, like, fandom is concerned, it's irrelevant now. Yeah. So it, it just, like, because fandom changes so quickly, it's, um... I think that it's all, you're always going to be subject to that with old stories. So the stuff that does stand the test of time is really, like, really good stuff. Yeah, that's, if you can find something and, like, 10 or 15 years later you still love it, or even 5 years later you still love it, that's a keeper. I have a couple of stories like that. I feel like that would actually be, like, a really interesting episode to talk about, like, just in terms of pure, like, pan-fandom fanfiction wrecks. Like, what stories are 5 years or older that you would still recommend? Yeah, I would find that interesting, but I also think it would be exceedingly difficult to do, and you and I would have to go through some super pain. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah, that's true. It could be real complicated. Yeah. Okay, next. Um, hi. So I just got into the West Wing. I'm so sorry. And <laughs> in trying to find Slashfic, a hypothesis I've had since trying to find some for the older shows like Due South, Stargate, and The Sentinel, and Star Trek The Original Series was tested, and it held up. Why was first-person fix so popular back in the day, but definitely isn't now? I have no idea. Right? This I is have like, no idea. This is one of those stylistic differences that is so, like, huge, right? Like... I hate first person. I have always hated first person. And there is no one in the world that is happier than me that that is the thing that we have abandoned. And I have no idea why it was such a big thing back then. Okay, here's the thing. I used to love first person. And I was like, that is the only way to write fanfic. And now I'm like, oh, it's in first person, immediate back button. Um, but interestingly, first person is still really happening in the publishing world. Like, yes. the number of books that I've picked up from the library recently opened and then been like, nope, putting it back because they're first person. So many. So many. And they're frequently bestsellers. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Don't buy this shit. It's in first person. Like, third person all the way. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. But you're absolutely correct, man. I have no idea why. So fucking weird. Also, if you're in West Wing fandom and you're looking for slash fic, I only ever read one slash fic in West Wing fandom, but I would recommend that you read You and Me of the 10,000 Wars because it is lovely. Okay. Um, Xenicus. Prue, why does Clint Barton? Why? <laughs> because Xenicus, in case you guys don't know, after ages of being entirely ambivalent toward uh Clint Colson or whatever has like trolled herself into that pairing for reasons unknown to man. Um and why does Clint Barton? 
I don't know, Zedekis, because you make bad decisions that have led you to this terrible fucking moment. Congratulations. I know. get for making friends with Prue. Hey, 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 I am not a sexually transmitted disease. Just because I enjoy a thing does not mean I spread it to others. Have you met you? I don't! (laughs) I mean, I think I'm semi-immune to it now, but there were some dangerous times. (laughs) Of what? When have you, like, what? Uh, you dragged me into SGA fandom, for one thing. That was not on purpose. But it happened. And then I was like, oh, she's watching Supernatural. I better watch some Supernatural. Which, like, I was in for three years. And thank God I'm out of it. But, like, that was a dark time. (laughs) What else have you fucking been in? (laughs) I've been in so many fandoms. I just, like, but I am constantly, like, reading a bunch of stuff. I'm super omni-fanish. Yeah. Even, like, do you see how, like, I've never watched The Social Network. I have zero interest in it. But I was like, oh, I don't know. Prue says this is good. And then I was like, what (laughs) am I doing? This is the worst. (laughs) I hate you. Ah, kisses. Okay. Um, Nox Elementalist. Hi, I haven't asked for your next Ask episode. Episodes, because there's so many of you. So many. (laughs) If you don't mind. My question is, which do you think is more important in a story? Strong characters or a strong plot? I ask because I have a lot of stuff I've seen in fandom films. Sorry. A lot of stuff I've seen in fandom films lately seem to choose plot, while stuff I read in fandom seems to choose characters. I'm not convinced that it is an either-or thing, but the split's making me wonder which you would choose if you only could have one. Okay, I'm just going to say the thing that I think is really interesting about this is the stuff in fandom that is pretty much character-based couldn't happen without the movie first building the characters through the plot. Well, I think the character, well, see, this is like a fundamental thing, right? Because I think the plots don't happen unless you have interesting characters. Because all plot is, is the decisions of characters. Well, basically, but I mean, you can't have that happen without, I mean, if you're talking about like the movie, why is it like the movie is all about plot and then the fandom seems to be mostly character driven? It's because they saw something in the movie in those characters because of that plot, which was because of those characters. Right, I mean, like, it's very much, like, a circular logic thing, right? Like, or a lot of times I think that um, stories that are character-driven are driven because people are like, what the fuck about the movie? (laughs) Why the characters would do something like this that predicated the plot. So, I don't know, I think it's a tough one, but if I had to pick just one, I would say I would rather have strong characters, because strong characters lead to interesting plots. So even if you don't necessarily have, like, a hugely interesting plot, if it's a strong character, it will still be an interesting read because it could be an interesting vignette or something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even if we're just going to talk about dumb things, very little actually happens in Covered Love other than cooking. But a lot happens with the characters. So I would always pick characters. Yes. Um, 7mm Faint? Faint? 7mm Faint. I've always wanted to know the story behind the internet handle that each of you use. Is that something <laughs> you would mind sharing? Uh, why don't you go first, MK? Okay. Um, when I was first getting into Sailor Moon on the internet, back when we still had to do dial-up, and it was like making horrible noises, etc. Like I was on a 144K modem, it was awful. I used to hang out in a place called the Moon Chat, Sailor Moon Chat Room. Which pretty much uh, a lot of, like, old Sailor Moon fans would hang out in. 
And I was like, shit, I need a username in order to participate in this chat room. And I was like, okay, it has to be Sailor Moon related, but it also has to be about me. So, right. Moon, obviously. Uh, Klutz, because I fall down a lot. And then I had added on because somebody else had already taken the username Moon Klutz. That <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Um, child, because I was like, well, I'm like 12 or 10 or something. Child with like an E? Like, like you were a child? No, like the normal spelling of child, because I'm not a prat. (laughs) Um, and then eventually the- You just used prat means you're a prat. Good, thanks. At any rate, eventually the person who had originally taken the username Moonklutz stopped participating in the chat room, and I got to change my username, and fuck that person, because now (laughs) I'm Moonklutz. (laughs) oh my god yep that's beautiful um mine is equally like lame but weirdly still pertinent uh so my favorite poem of all time like it's at number one a moment by Wieslavis and Borska is at number two but my favorite poem of all time, um, because secretly in my heart, I'm still like a 12-year-old girl discovering <laughs> T.S. Eliot for the first time, yeah. is the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And more specifically, the lesson that I've always carried with me regarding that poem, and which is still a guiding principle of my life, is his hesitation and his fearfulness to take action. And um, there are a lot of there are a lot of meta- like anyone who has studied this poem, like knows all the metaphors. Like, do I dare eat a peach? Am I going to wear linen trousers and walk along a beach? Like that sort of thing. Like, so when I decided on my username, I, oh my gosh, it was like when I got my first LJ. So, so long ago, I was like early high school. Um, I, basically wanted a username that kind of like encapsulated like all of my teen angst and anger and rage proof rock. Like, so for people who like spell it capital R A G E capital P R U then (laughs) capital F R O C K you are spelling it wrong, really wrong, inexplicably wrong. (laughs) Um, It's just rage proof rock because I wanted to remind myself never to become complacent. Like, do not let your natural fearfulness, your hesitation, your anguish about making decisions hold you back from doing something amazing. Like, missing out is the thing that I'm most afraid of. And it was the thing that I was most afraid of as a teenager. It's still the thing that I'm most afraid of now, which is why I had to file taxes in three states and two countries the other year. But it's been worth it. And I I think it's... I go by pronouns because it's shorter, but like, I think that that is still the username that applies most to me. It's like a nice reminder not to wuss out on stuff. That's really smart. And, you know, I wish that I was more like that, but also I really like just staying in my comfort zone. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's, it's not like a thing that everyone has to do, right? Like, I feel like if I didn't push myself out of my comfort zone all the time, I would feel stifled or I would feel upset or I would feel like I had wasted something. But I don't think that that is a thing that other people necessarily feel. And I feel like you need to feed your soul. However, your soul demands to be fed. And mine is constantly saying like, go like leave, go to this place, do this thing, try this out. This is terrifying. You better do it. Like 
and I don't think that everyone has that. Like, that's like a very me thing. So I, I think that like, there's no wrong way to do it. As long as you feel like you're satisfying, like whatever inner hunger you have. Yeah, that's fair. I will say my favorite thing about the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock mm-hmm. <laughs> is uh, some friends of mine got married like several years ago and the groom's uncle went up to like give a reading during the ceremony. Oh my God. And he read that. And I was like, Looking around me frantically, like, does anybody else get why this is hilarious and totally inappropriate? And everyone was just like, oh, yeah, that seems like a beautiful poem. And I was like, no! (laughs) Clearly nobody else got it. So, all right, well, I I guess it's better than, like, him reading it, thinking it's great, and everybody else being horrified. Yeah, everyone seemed totally cool with that, except me, who was like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) In short, you should read that poem. Yes. Um, the teacup shatters. So I know I've witnessed and participated in my fair share of meltdown meltdowns in the fanimal community following the season two finale, but I have to say I'm curious. Do you on the Slash Report team put any stock in the romantic slash sexual tension present between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter on screen this season? Or is it the product of a lot of fanish theory and wishful thinking, or worse, queer baiting as witnessed by as witnessed in some other fandoms? I don't, okay, so FK can't talk to this, but well, I Well, I'm going to put zero stock in it. Yeah. I don't think that it is queer baiting, but I also don't necessarily think that their connection is romantic and or sexual. It is extremely, extraordinarily, probably like fucked up intense. Um, it is all about, I feel like... It, I feel like to deny the connection between the two of them is to absolutely discard the canon read of the story. Like the entire framing narrative for parts of season two is all about Hannibal Lecter talking about how he feels like he has identified a person who could be his friend, that he could make a friend out of this person. But his definition of that is completely outre to us. Like it's like, it's not, he's not human. Like, his understanding of human relationships is not human. Like, he wears a human suit and pretends to be a person, but on the inside, he's not really. And in Will Graham, he senses someone who has the similar ability to, like, slip into and out of, like, identities, right? And Will through his extreme empathy and his profiling experience. So I think the connection between them is extremely real. And to pretend that it's not or to dismiss it as queer baiting is to really do a disservice to the absolutely amazing work that Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen did and Brian Fuller and the whole show did to build this like crazy, intense, like climactic relationship. At the same time, I think that fandom's decision to read it as um, queer or read it as sexual is like a decision that fandom does, right? Like that is an extra layer that we've built on top of it. You can have extremely intense relationships that are non-sexual. You can have extremely intense, like single sex relationships that are not homosexual. Um, but I don't, but like, I also think that I, it's a show that like, is openly aware of that subtext. And I don't think that it's doing anything to intentionally, I guess, bolster the idea that that's going to happen, but it's also not going to do anything that's going to like tell you that it's not beyond like the canonical, like spoilers, like fucking like left will Graham stabbed in the stomach, bleeding to death on the floor. 
exciting. I think that relationship is crazy intense slash just crazy. But I feel like it's really difficult to like make the queer baiting argument with Hannibal because it's just, he's a serial killer. He wants to like he can't have Will. He can't eat him. He's gonna kill him. Like I just don't think that it's even relevant in this context. Go ahead. It's so insane. pain right now this is great <laughs> the weird wendigo thing had a sex scene what yep that doesn't make any sense okay uh next <laughs> fucking going downhill real fast Anonymous, would you guys consider talking about food or cooking or kitchen table things in relation to fic? It's almost always my favorite part of reading long ensemble stories, and I'd like to hear more about how writers put these scenes together. Oh my god, I love food, I love cooking, I love kitchen table stuff in writing. Uh, I don't actually write that much of it, though. Uh, I mean, I've written that one thing, but that was because of you. Yes, and I was also, it was also hilarious, guys, some, like, hilarious background um, on Covered Love, is that, first of all, MK sent me, <laughs> so the first half of the story MK sent me and was like, can you beta read, like, how I've described the cooking process? And I did, which was like, you have to change everything. <laughs> and then the second half, you sent me, and then because I was still at work, when I got home like three hours later, I had a second email being like, I can't wait anymore. I'm just posting. Here's, here's my side of that story, which is I hadn't posted fic in like six years and I got real excited. Yes. Uh, I have a lot of really, I have like a lot of really intense feelings about cooking and food in the place that it serves in terms of solidifying relationships and what it means. And it goes all the way back to when I was little and I was reading the little house books. Um, and all the way up to now when I like anyone who has ever like interacted with me, like all of my friends know this, like MK knows this a lot. Like my favorite thing to do ever is just cook for people. So yeah. <laughs> uh, how is that beef strong enough? So good. Um, so it, I really love cooking and food. That's actually really strange. I've never written it into a story before. You should do that because, I don't know, now I, like, try to write a little bit into everything. And actually I have the problem of when I'm writing stuff, I'm like, uh, this story doesn't need to have recipes included, but I feel like if I mention something, I should now include the recipe. <laughs> well, I, my other problem is I don't cook from recipes. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like... It's, it's easy, like, to run into sort of make it, like, schlocky, like, overly pantomiming, like, water for chocolate. So it's not – I really love food, but I guess I like the doing of it more than I like to actually write it. Although, you know what? Frankly, in fandom, I don't – aside from, like, Covered Love being the example that we both know, like, do you know a lot of stories that talk about food? No. I know about bakery AUs, but that's, like, very rarely written by people who actually talk about the baking process. Yeah, it's not about the food. I think that's, for the most part for me, coffee shop or bakery AUs are about the fact that, uh, typically, people fall in love with their baristas because the caffeine hit happens when they see that person's face every morning. 
And it's so bad that Starbucks, like a lot of their managers will actually tell employees, if somebody starts hitting on you, it's not about you. It's about the caffeine. (laughs) I'm not joking. (sighs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it's a really interesting way to tell a story. I really like it, but I think you have to balance it out and have it be the vehicle of something, right? Like, it has to push things forward. Yeah, and I feel like the other thing is that it, uh, for, I I guess it depends on your level of cooking experience, but, like, a lot of it reads really inaccurate. Like, um, a lot of times when people talk about, like, the cooking process, like, when I read it, I'm like... No, that's not the best way to do that. Or like, no, that's not how you would do that. Or like, you couldn't do that. Or it takes longer than 15 minutes to caramelize onions and other stuff like that. So it's an area that I like end up nitpicking a lot, which always throws me out of the enjoyment of a story. And I generally dislike doing that to stories. So I try to steer clear. It's interesting because, uh, you are much better at cooking than me. I have to have a recipe. I have to know all of the steps. I will fuck it up anyway. Um, but I'm like, anyone can basically cook themselves some food for lunch. Whenever people comment, and they're like, I can't cook, so I won't make any of these. I'm like, if I can make this, trust me, you can make it, because I'm an idiot. Absolutely everyone can cook. And the more you cook, the better you get. Yeah. But I'm never like, that's not how you do that. Unless somebody gets confused about Canadian bacon, which will instantly throw me out of a story. Okay. What Americans call Canadian bacon is not what Canadians call Canadian bacon. So maybe you should stop calling it Canadian bacon. Maybe we should just not even pretend that that's an issue. (laughs) It's an issue for me. I know. I know. I'm good. My pain is forever. Different Anon. Have either of you read Madeline Miller's novel Song of Achilles? It's basically published Iliad slash fic, and it sort of spawned its own Greek mythology slash classics fandom. Uh, no. That sounds cool. I just, you know, I think we've talked a little bit. You've read it? No, I said we, basically it's just that we haven't read it. Yeah, but I mean, again, we read either really weird stuff or like a lot of fanfic or both. But there's so much that I haven't read. I actually had to tell my friends to stop recommending books to me. Because I was like, you know that I won't read this until like 10 years from now, right? Like, don't lend me your copy. Don't. Just don't. Because you're not getting it back and I won't have read it. And we won't be able to talk about it. Um, another Anon. Mm, yes, Okay. You've talked about Rule 63 on the podcast before, so I wanted to ask what you think of Femslash and why it seems to be so much less popular than Rule 63 stories. Uh, I actually, when we got this question, I thought about this a lot in terms of why, like, I can't speak for fandom as a whole beyond me guessing, but I know why it appeals to me more, right? Like, a lot of the... These like the problem is that there's like so many generalizations I'm gonna have to pull out here. Like I am a heterosexual female. Um, when I read slash, I'm into it the way that a lot of like dudes are into lesbian porn. Like I like dudes. Two dudes is two times the fun. Um, more than that, I like the exploration of relationships that is much more heavily emphasized in slash fandom than in a lot of het pairings because I think that people use the het pairing as a crutch. Like 
the, the pairing is assumed that they will get together. You don't have that assumption in slash fandom. So you have to work a little harder. And therefore I think the stories, the romances, the narratives are a little bit more robust. And that's how I originally got into slash and why I still like it. Um, as for the hem, the fem slash element of it, I think that this is one of those, like, I would hesitate to write a fem slash story because I know that I'm probably not doing it right. I am not actually gay. So I don't have a realistic understanding of how those relationships operate. I am a straight lady, so I know how heterosexual relationships operate. So I can, like, make one person a lady and still understand the rules and regulations of that game. And the reason that I feel totally comfortable writing Slash, where it's, like, two dudes, like, which is two things that I've never been involved in, A, being a man, and B, dating a man while a man, um, is that most of the people in Slash fandom are women, and most of the people in Slash fandom are not gay dudes. So it's unlikely that I will be like pissing off a huge swath of people in the fandom by completely misportraying the relationships and the dynamics there. At least I, that's the way I feel about it. That's fair. I mean, uh, I don't ever think that my sexuality would come into it, but I'm generally just looking at people are people and it's a human story, whatever. What I do have trouble with, and this is like my stupid, stupid thing again I think we all know by now that I'm really adamant about which one is on the bottom. I also have very strict ideas about which one would make a good or interesting female. Yes. And I find it really hard to believe a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, um, that the other half of my pairing would also make a good female. I know that people love it. I just don't see Derek Hale as a lady. I do see both Steve and Danny of Hawaii Five O as ladies, and I think that works great. But not many people write that. Would you have? Is there a reason that some people read as potentially ladyable and others don't? No, I think it's just like the more I know their character, I can like me personally. I make a decision, and I'm like, yes, no, maybe. Or, you know, I mean, someone would have to convince me. Part of the reason that I can see Steve as a lady in Hawaii Five-O and not just Danny is because 20-something convinced me. Okay. I'm very suggestible. <laughs> that you are. But that I mean, like, potentially I just think that because this is one of those things where, like, you need enough to get the ball rolling. And maybe we haven't had enough in fandom that convinced enough people to get the ball rolling, to get it bigger, to make more people convinced. And if you don't have that kind of momentum, then other people aren't going to write fem slash. Mm, I don't know. <clears throat> oh, oh, wait. Sorry, I have one other thing. Yeah. Because I've written a bunch of girl styles, I've actually gotten a series of comments that were things like, when people write girl so-and-so or, like, girl anyone, I have trouble believing it because they focus too much on what it means to be a girl instead of just showing us and having it be believable and then carrying on with the story because the character is what's important, not so much their gender. They're like, uh, I couldn't identify with a lot of girl-style stories or whatever. So this sounds awful, but, like, maybe as ladies we have trouble either projecting ourselves onto other ladies sometimes because we have such a, a strong sense of self or maybe it's because we haven't had enough well-written female characters in media to work from. 
Um, disagree? No, I mean, like, I agree with parts of that. I disagree with parts of that. I think that a lot of times, like, when people say they don't like gender fuck, I mean, like, I get, yeah, like, I write a lot of gender fuck. And, like, if you look, I basically, like, receive one comment a day on average that is, like, normally I hate gender fuck, but I really like this gender fuck. And I think that's typically because when people write gender fuck, they're not actually writing gender fuck. Like, or whatever. Like, they're not actually, like, making the character female. Um, a lot of times, like, people, all they do is, like, glue some boobs onto a character and everything else stays the same. Uh, and I think the, the reason that's really disappointing to me is that the reason genderfuck is interesting to me is because, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'll say it forever, is that gender is seismic. It changes absolutely everything. It's why it's so important. It's why it, like, matters to people, and it's why it defines a lot of things that you do and the person you are, whether or not you are cognizant of it, right? If it really didn't matter much, then people would not, like, at the age of four, recognize that, like, the body doesn't line up with who they are. Um, I think that it changes everything. And so if you're going to write authentically about it, then you have to be willing to like go back to brass tacks and like rebuild from the beginning. And I love seeing like really good rebuilds of characters to figure out who they would have been, like the person they would have been, the choices that they would have made, the circumstances they would have faced. Um, But a lot of people don't attack that. And, but anyway, this is like going so far afield of the conversation about Femslash. I think that like, I don't have a satisfying answer about that. I don't know why more people don't write Femslash. I know why I don't write Femslash. I don't know if that's the reason other people don't. So I guess I have no satisfactory response. Well, I don't know. I mean, agreed. I don't know if we can explain why there isn't enough or isn't more in general Femslash. But I think we both have a lot of feelings about Rule 63, and I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think that, I, I don't know, I feel like you, you like, you gotta have, like, I don't know, I, it's one of those things, I genuinely think that it's one of those things where, like, I don't want to write it because I'm probably going to do it wrong and someone is going to yell at me. See, that's not my fear at all. I just, you know, I'm like, this person, but not this person. I'm still so weirded out. Like, what are the, what are the traits necessary? I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you. Like, it's literally a a case by case situation. I'm trying to think of what are your major slash pairings. So in Derek, in Derek and Styles, it would only be Styles could be a girl. Yeah. What, uh, but Steve, Danny, before you were convinced who was going to be the girl? Uh, Danny. Okay. So in these two cases. Is it because they're on the bottom? No. Literally has nothing to do with that. Okay. Um, in Styles... It seems to be unconvinced sound in my voice. No, no. Really, the reason is, in Teen Wolf, I think that it would be dumb to have a female character whose entire family has been killed. I just don't find that interesting. But to have a female character who has lost the female person and role model in her life, I find really interesting. Like, if there's only one person that you're missing, then I think that that changes a female identity a lot versus like a son losing his mother a daughter losing her mother I think is uh not more effective but effective in a different way mm-hmm. versus like losing your entire family I think would affect men and women very much the same so I don't find it interesting um on the other hand in Hawaii 5 I feel like 
being someone who has been divorced and become a single parent, maybe it's just because of the way society is right now, but I find that to be a very female story. Um, the same way that, like, it's probably just because I haven't had enough exposure to, like, a better version of this, but <laughs> Steve being on the phone with his dad while his dad is murdered and that being the driving force in his life, I don't see as a, a female story the way that, like, I just don't think it would be as interesting if he were a lady. I think a lady would react differently to that situation than Steve did, but I don't see Steve himself changing even if he were a lady. Does that make sense? There's, like, a, a cognitive dissonance in his identity for me. I understand, like, your reading on it. Like, I completely disagree with you across the board on everything you just said. But, like, <laughs> I see I see that you believe that. Well, think of it this way. Um, supernatural. I totally buy Dean being a girl, but I don't buy Sam being a girl. But, like, I, I guess, like, my argument is not so much, like, you buy it or not. It's just, it, it's irrelevant whether or not you buy it. It's all about what would have, like, what are the consequences if they were? Like, it, genetically speaking, it's like a whatever percent chance. Like, both of them could have been born girls. One of them could have been born a girl. Like, Sam could have been born a girl. But, like, what would the story be? It just has to be authentic or convincing, whatever it is. I don't know that there's, like, one person that is, like, fits for me or doesn't. It's all about, like, how you write it. Well, I think this is a situational thing for me. Again, uh, if you had both Winchesters had to be girls, I would buy it. But if one of them has to be a girl, it's going to be Dean. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that, but that's okay. I can't explain it well. I just know that these are my feelings. That is entirely accurate. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, slash questioner. We suck at answering this question. Yeah, we're the worst. I don't think it's, but I mean, like, I think that a lot of the common rallying cries about, like, fandom is like focused purely on white dudes that's why like everything is wrong i don't think that's it i think that that's i don't know i i know that why i like literally know why i don't write it it's because i'm pretty sure people would yell at me for doing it wrong so i have a certain amount of no okay we can't talk about this anymore <laughs> let's move on um nev longbottom what are your main fandoms these days? Where do you concentrate your creative outlets, writing, drawing, etc.? And what are you watching, reading, slash anticipating? Uh, you go first. I, my main fanish outlets are, I mean, like, my relationship with fandom is very weird in the sense that I, what, I don't do fandom the way that I used to anymore, right? Like, it used to be like I was into a show, so I watched that show. I would read that fan fiction. I would talk to people about that show. I would have feelings about that show or like that medium, whatever. Um, that's not really the way I do it anymore. Like currently I'm writing um, Reconstruction, which is uh, a Captain America slash Marvel Cinematic Universe story. But I'm not actually like reading that much. I'm like not focused reading purely on like Avengers stuff. Like I'm reading like all sorts of random stuff, like whatever is good or seems interesting I'm giving it a shot and I'm also like fanishly like involved in Hannibal like I'm really anticipating the third season of Hannibal but I'm not like reading fanfic about it um so I guess like maybe I'm just like a library browser at this point in fandom <laughs> good yeah. um I'm still stuck in Teen Wolf you did this to me by the way I recognize your icon Nev Longbottom that's totally Gaffy Labs um, 
if I'm wrong, I'm real sorry. <laughs> uh, so most of my like thick reading and writing, whatever, is Teen Wolf, but I still read a fair amount of Avengers, um, mostly Darcy and Clint, but a little bit of Steve Tony, a little bit of Clint Coulson because Blaine Prue. What the fuck? Yeah, it's your fault. Um, but if I'm gonna do fan vids, which like I've been thinking about fan vids a lot again lately, it's generally in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I don't know why. Maybe because I like making people sad when it comes to video. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Anonymous. Can you quit canon without giving up the fandom? Yes, I've done it. <laughs> um, that's all I have to say on that. Yes. Okay. Anonymous. I would love it if you could please do an episode on any of the bigger 90s fandoms. Do so. X-Files, Buffy and Angel, Sentinel. Thank you for your consideration. We've actually talked about doing a Do South episode. Um, I think we've talked enough about the Sentinel. There's potential for an X-Files episode. I don't know if we would do a Buffy and Angel episode. When I watched Buffy and Angel, I was stoned out of my mind on painkillers. Yeah, and I don't think that, like, either of us were Buffy enough fans or Angel enough fans to actually be able to do, like, an episode about them. Like, my feelings were like, well, those happened. Yeah, I almost feel like Buffy adjacent. Right? Like, I, I was a much bigger Angel fan than I was of Buffy. Buffy? Um, I hate Buffy herself. <laughs> oh my god, so much hate is coming your way. I was like, so I don't know that we would actually do an episode on that. Yeah, I don't think we could. Or we couldn't do it justice, because I know that people feel very strongly about Buffy and Angel, and I don't think either of us do. No. Um, next. Another Anon. Hi. Putting in a request for a costume drama episode, if that's your thing. Not necessarily yep. Austin, like any film or TV series or K-drama. But also really love a Penny Dreadful episode, although the first season is still going through the end of June. Thank you both for the podcast. It's a thing of beauty. Penny Dreadful only has, like, three episodes. Neither of us watch it, so I don't think that's happening for you. Sorry. And when we earlier discussed the possibility of this, I think we agreed that the costume drama thing was just too broad. Yeah, it's just not, I wouldn't even know where to start or what to talk about specifically. Yeah. And since neither of us are into costume, it's not even like we could just talk about that. We're a little bit into costume. Like, when we do, eventually we're probably going to do an episode about Miss Fisher's Mysteries, and a large part of what gets people into that show is the costumes, but that's but not the Intelligently point. about it, right? All we would be able to say is, like, those costumes are cool. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, next. Writing question. How do you avoid plagiarizing yourself? Like, I'll be writing something and thinking that it sounds good, and then I realize, wait, this sounds familiar, and it turns out that I've written a phrase or sentence or dialogue exchange exactly the same as, slash very similar, to one that I've already written in a different story. Congratulations, you have a writing style. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, I mean, there's some things that, like, uh, how do I say this without being a dick? <laughs> no, because there are certain authors that I haven't liked in the past because their writing always felt exactly the same, but it's the whole story felt the same. It's not just, like, this phrase or this uh, 
type of conversation, whatever. It would be like every story was identical, which is boring. Yeah, I mean, like, there's certain things, like, I know exactly what you're talking about, Anon, because I have very, um, I think I have really obvious writer tics where even if I posted something anonymously, you would be able to tell it was me just based on certain things that I tend to do when I'm writing, right? Like, there's one thing that I, um, I always like to break up lines of dialogue, like when someone is talking, because I don't like just having people talk and talk and talk at each other. So unless, um, if I can't actually have someone having like a speaker tag to explain how they look or what the circumstances of the conversation are, I will oftentimes break up a line of dialogue with like a dash with like an M dash. And then like in the middle of this line of dialogue, have like a little insert of like something else. And I feel like I'm the only person who actually does it that particular way with that particular formatting with that particular punctuation. And so I feel like from eight miles away, you could tell that was me. Um, and there are also like certain turns of phrase that I use a lot, a lot of descriptors that I revisit, but it's because I like them. And I think that they sort of capture the moment or like they, they crystallize that one thing. And if it's just like little turns of phrase or like certain descriptors that you use, I would not worry about it. But the thing that MK is talking about where like the entire oeuvre of your work has the sameness to it. Like, I feel like the problem is the people who have that issue, like don't realize that their stories have that sameness to it. Yeah, that's quite possible. Uh, I will say, I think I have that similar verbal tick to you where I have to, in stories, I also am like, that's too much dialogue. I need to M dash this. Yeah. Except the hoiding frequently edits it out. Yeah. And, uh, and other things like, this is like the fun, like back and forth between you and your editor, like, um, uh, Lepicus betas a lot of my stuff. And because like, I respect her tremendously as a writer. She's like one of the few people who will like read my story and be like, no, and I will, like, be angry, but no, she's right. <laughs> um, yeah. She will, like, constantly, like, break my sentence. Like, she'll break my paragraphs into shorter paragraphs. And that's literally just, like, a style thing. Like, she likes the paragraphs slightly shorter than I do. And this sort of thing happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> See, with Hoyden, she's like, just make this a period, and it's a new sentence after this other descriptor, so you don't get as many dashes. Because if you see my rough draft... It is all dashes all the time. Right. Uh, and she's like, that's too many dashes. Stop it. And I'm like, oh, fine. But yeah, just, you know, I think you're fine. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Unless you read over your stuff and you're literally borrowing huge chunks from yourself, which is hard because it is very difficult to, like, to gank that much. Yeah, basically. Because as you said, even in this comment, you start realizing that this is familiar, and you self-correct, presumably. Yeah. Um, Anon, how do you balance real life with fandom time? Uh, I'm the worst. Sometimes I write fanfiction at work. Um, I don't, actually. Yeah, but you have, like, a more real person job than I do. Yeah, but no, I meant, like, even more than that, like, on a holistic, larger level, like, how do you balance fan fiction with real life, like, or fandom with real life? Like, I don't. Um, it's why people get really mad at me about, like, taking months between updates on fanfic and, like, I just don't. My real life takes precedence. I mean, my real life takes precedence, but, you know, I also don't write nearly as much as you do. Yeah, but it, it used to be that I would, like... I would choose to stay up until three in the morning to write 
or I would make time to like watch something just so that it could be like, I could be part of the Vanish dialogue. And as I get older and grumpier and have more stuff to do, um, and my free time gets kind of like winnowed away from me. Like I've just started, I've just stopped doing that. So basically like I want fandom to be fun. So I refuse to like waste my time on stuff. And if I'm not interested, I'm not going to watch it. And if I don't have time, I'm not going to worry about it. So I don't actually balance the two. Like, so fandom gets railroaded a lot. (laughs) I mean, there's things that I do a lot less now. Like I could not run a scanlation group at this phase in my life because that would take way too much time. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to pick and choose certain things after a while. It was a lot easier in university, but also I wasn't studying real hard. Oh my God. I, this is why like my body is like permafucked because I was so busy in college and I was also writing so much fanfic. I think I was averaging maybe three hours of sleep a night for probably three plus years. I was double majoring. I worked like fucking probably in total about like 45 to 50 hours a week at my various jobs. Yeah. No, I can't. Huh? I can't with any yeah. of that. I need I, like after hours. software you had like a meeting that would last until like one thirty or two in the morning, like three times a week. I was just like looking back on it now. I'm like, oh my god, how did I not fall down when I was doing that? But it didn't. It didn't seem ridiculous then, right? Like it didn't seem ridiculous because it was important to me that I was like really in it, like fandom wise. And like these days, I'm like, yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> The, uh, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, whether it's, like, I can do, like, six hours at night and two hours in a nap, but if I don't get that, I become an awful human being, like, way more awful than I already am. And also, you don't get any Fanish production. <laughs> so. Yeah. For years, three to four hours of sleep a night. Sleep takes precedence, always. I also had to quit caffeine one of those years because, um... I was walking back toward the office, like, I would say, like, at one in the morning, and I was, like, I just refilled my giant coffee at the 24-hour cafe for, like, the eighth time that day, and I could feel my heartbeat go weird, so, like, I had to quit coffee for, like, a good two years in the middle of that, and, like, not just coffee, like, all caffeine for two years in the middle of that, too. It's funny because typically I think of you as the one who lives good, but then you say something like that, and I'm like, you need to live better. Well, I mean, like, I think it depends on your definition of living good, right? Like, I'm a little bit better, I'm a little bit more adept, right, at a lot of, like, the so-called adult checkboxes, but the way I got here was not pretty. That's fair. Yeah. All right, next. Do you guys have any non-YA book recommendations? Fanfic is awesome, but sometimes I just want to read a book, and when I do, I tend to gravitate towards YA books. I feel like maybe I'm missing out on other genres, though, but I kind of don't know where to start. I can give you nonfiction book recs, but MK, why don't you start? Because I think you actually do read fiction. I do read fiction. I'm just looking at my bookshelf now, like, what the fuck am I going to wreck? Um, I mean, depending on what you like, I'll give you a couple of genres. If you like mystery novels, I would start with almost any Agatha Christie mystery, but specifically um, at Bertram's Hotel, which is, I've I've wrecked it before, it's my favorite Agatha Christie mystery, and it's all about ladies kicking ass, like, during the war at a hotel. Um, If you like science fiction, 
Um, then I would recommend, fuck, what's that book called? The Best of All Possible Worlds by Karen Lord, uh, which is kind of like, it almost reads like Star Trek fan fiction in like a Rule 63. Um, it's just like a really interesting story about people settling a bunch of different races on a single world. And for, fuck, what other genres are there? <laughs> Romance? We have a whole episode of female gays about romance novels coming up, so I'm just going to say listen to that when it finally airs. That will come up and that will help you out on that. Yeah. For me, in terms of books that I would recommend to you that are non-YA, and these are all non-fiction recommendations, um, I'm pulling from a couple of different areas here because I'm not actually sure where specifically in YA you would be interested. Or, sorry, not YA, non-fiction you're interested. But the key with non-fiction is that even if it's not a subject that you think will be interesting, it will be astonishing once you dig into it, if it's a good book. So the first one that I'm going to recommend to you um, is a book called Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Um, It's, uh, how do I describe it? It's about the Oakland A's and it's about how management changed, that management changed the way people sort of recruited in baseball and what was considered what was considered a good baseball player. It's really, really interesting. If you're not into sports, it might be a little bit difficult to get into, but Michael Lewis is very famous for getting into the weeds of something and tricking you into giving a fuck about it, whether or not you want to. My second recommendation is um, an absolutely astonishing book that probably everybody else has already told you to read. It's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sploot. Um, I bought it on... I bought it from my favorite bookstore off of uh, off of Bishopsgate in London, uh, one of the last weeks that I was there, and I read it nonstop on the plane back to the U.S. and I cried the entire way. It's so brilliant. It is about the it's about a woman named Henrietta Lacks, um, but everyone knows her in science as Hela because it is the cells from her uh, her cervical cancer that were the basis for all the genetic research that we do today. Um, the story is astonishing, both from like a medical science perspective, from like a horrible, horrible civil rights era issue and to the way that it sort of has magnified outward to the ramifications for her family. Even today, really, really interesting, wonderfully researched, compellingly told there is one super weird fucking thing that if I was this writer's editor, I would have told her to completely removed from the book, but she seems to think it's important and she's wrong. Um, next recommendation. I sadly cannot see the author name from where I'm like lying here on my couch, but it's a book called loot. And it is um, specifically about the, uh, the sort of eternal argument of whether or not you are obligated or like anybody is culturally obligated to give back artwork that was taken from the original location. So probably like the best examples of this are like the Elgin marbles that are in the British museum that Greece has wanted back forever. And who knows whether or not that will ever happen. Um, It's a really, really interesting book. It's a tough book. If you like art to read because it will give you a lot of contradictory feelings. Like I know, for example, like if a lot of stuff that I look at in the museums that I go to had not been stolen from their homelands, I never would have seen them. 
But at the same time, like, do I have a right to that versus the people who actually like live in the places where they came from? And beyond that, like for the issues of Egyptology, like, or in a lot of these places where people want this art back, like are the people who currently live there, are the people who currently live in that area, even the people who should have the stuff returned? Like, are they even the same people? It just brings up all of these questions about like identity and like cultural inheritance and things that just make you uncomfortable, but are questions we should consider. And my very last book recommendation is going to be called, um, sorry, is going to be uh, Sex with the Queen. Um, and it's a nonfiction book that goes through the history of um, nasty marital stuff for royal people. You live real bad. <laughs> I was going to add one more recommendation, which is a sci-fi fantasy series, um, The Steerswoman Books by Rosemary Kirstein, which when I started reading, I thought was a fantasy series. It seemed, uh, it's about, like, uh, in a kind of similar to ours, but fantasy world, uh, there's a group of people who go traveling all over recording history and explaining history, like current events and past events to all of the other people because that's the only way that they can send knowledge and like make sure that it's all accurate and getting to everyone. And it opens with this lady steerswoman on a boat who encounters uh, a booby-trapped safe that electrocutes people when they try to touch it and a mm -hmm. murder. And it goes from there, but like partway through one of the books, I suddenly was like, holy shit, this is sci-fi. And when you hit that moment, it's kind of amazing to realize that like what you thought was fantasy is not. Cool. Yeah. Um, next question from an Anon. Prue, how do you lead your double life? <laughs> I don't think I lead a double life, but you seem to think differently, okay? I think you lead like a quadruple life. I don't know. Maybe. I, I guess, like, I just, I very much live by the credo of Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, you assholes know too much about me already. So, and I feel that way not just about fandom, right? Like, I feel that way about everything. So, I guess, like, I'm not all about sharing and caring. <laughs> Good. Good. I support you in that endeavor. It's true. I just feel like there's, like... You work in an office where this sort of thing happens to MK. So, like, people, like, volunteer information about themselves. And I'm just like, please don't tell me. Like, I don't want to know shit about you. Like, I don't want to know fucking anything about you. We just work here. We're in the same room. Let's, like, get this done and never talk about this again. See, this is kind of how I feel about having neighbors. My parents were always like, it's really important to get to know your neighbors because you might need them in an emergency. And I'm like, no, those fuckers are going to be the emergency. I don't want to know them. I don't want to know anything about them. I just want them to be, like, quiet and pick up their shit. I'm not quite as bad as you in terms of, like, neighbors. Because, like, I like being friends with people and I like being friendly with people. But I think that there's a very big difference between, like, being friendly with people and them, like, knowing stuff about you, right? Like, I have completely friendly relationships with everyone at my office. And if they – and if you ask them to, like, describe me or tell I'll, like, say, like, what is Prue like outside of the workplace? They would not be able to tell you shit. <laughs> That is the goal. <laughs> That's fair. Um, my office has the problem where a lot of people can't tell the difference between me and my coworker who looks nothing like me. They think we're the same person. So good. Yeah, I kind of I can't tell if I like that or not. 
Um, <laughs> you should start using that. <laughs> yeah. Um, another Anon who I think is high <laughs> says, why are you so awesome? Everything is awesome. Everything is not awesome. Deal with it. I think that someone just went to see the Lego movie, right, Anon? Right? Okay, I haven't seen Have you it. still not that MK? No, it's not playing. Okay, one, it's not playing at the theater around the corner from me, but I walked past that theater yesterday, and it is playing something called Wolf Cop, which I can't tell if I should see or not. <laughs> okay, I think that you should see Wolf Cop, just because then I can make even more gifting jokes about you. Well, and then, like- secondly... The Everything is Awesome is the resounding song from the Lego movie, and it's awesome. Oh, okay. But I was just going to say, I have Tuesday off, movies are $5 on Tuesday, and I'm like, Wolf Cop, is that worth $5? Is your dignity worth $5? I sure think so. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Anonymous. You're welcome. Hey, Prue, can you talk a little about what Supernatural episodes you think are the most heartbreaking? Oh my god, okay. Hold on. Good. I have to get the wig. <laughs> I almost feel like we ended the previous episode too soon. Maybe, but it's too late. It is too late. What are these? What happens if I click on this? That's so interesting. Okay, so Google basically has like made searching stuff is even cooler than it used to be so like if you type in a show it'll like give you the seasons in list order oh good yeah it's weird um i think it's hard to identify individual episodes that are really heartbreaking and supernatural just because supernatural in general is a heartbreaking show um the ones that really stand out to me in terms of agonized sobbing, unending agonized sobbing. The first one I would have to say was, um, the, (laughs) there's so many, where do I even begin? Like top five. Everything on the show is awful. I would have to say the first thing that comes to mind in terms of, like, what I cried the worst at was the season five season finale. Um, I wept through that entire episode. Just terrible, embarrassing crying. Um, I also think that another really, really great episode um, is the... Wait, let me see if this is the... I just don't want to give you, like, the wrong episode names. I think that the episode in question here would be No Rest for the Wicked, which is the one where Dean Winchester is sent to hell at the end of season three. Um, Really, really good. Made me cry a lot. Um, The other one that was unexpectedly heartrending and um, just really upsetting as well is also from season three, Mystery Spot. Uh, it's so stupid sounding and, um, and somehow it turns out to be like absolutely heartrending. It's the, it's the one where the trickster just kills Dean over and over and over and over again. And it should be, it should be absurd. It turns out to be absolutely devastating emotionally. Then let me flip through here and see what else is really awful and made me cry a lot. 
What is the fucking one where Dean had to torture someone? You are asking the wrong lady. I know, I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Uh, Torture. Okay, yeah. So another one that was really, really, like, upsetting to me was the episode Heaven and Hell in season four. Uh... So also in season four, but the episode is actually called On the Head of the Pin. Um, it is the one where the angels need Dean to torture his torturer from hell to get information. It is one of the worst things I've ever seen in terms of making me unhappy. Just epic sobbing, such epic sobbing, so epic sobbing for possibly one million years. Epic sobbing. Congratulations on your life. I know. Uh, also upsetting is basically like the entire end of season four just those last couple of episodes are just like fucking terrible and awful and just like weeping such weeping such shameful goddamn weeping Uh, such weeping very wow such weeping very wow like all this like the end of season four was really good for me um just because i was so unhappy and happy to be unhappy I don't, I don't know how to explain that. There are a lot of sad episodes in Supernatural. So, yeah. And the other one, I'm not going to look it up because this has taken too long already. But there is one other episode, early seasons, um, where Supernatural, where Dean Winchester and Sam Winchester are hunting a djinn. And uh, um, he lives yeah, like the, the ideal. You remember life. that. And he gets projected, yes, and somehow was crushing. Um, and it's, like, really sad. And the more you think about that episode, the sadder it is. So that's the last one that I'm going to recommend for if you want to be just really unhappy. So awful. Okay. Okay, we're, we're going to keep moving on. Anonymous. Yeah. I might have just relapsed hard into Prince of Tennis because I make terrible life choices. Can you share? Yes, you do. Yeah. Can you share any Prince of Tennis shame stories to make me feel less terrible about this? Not really, because it's been a really long time since I was into pot, and you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> what a weird... Okay, yeah, good, good. Um, you, like, you should have known better, bro. <laughs> a Curious Corbid. I love your podcast. I've only been listening a few months, but I'm working my way back through the archive. It's entertaining as hell, and I'm getting introduced to so much great stuff. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, oh my. <laughs> you deserve better. <laughs> you deserve to live better. Um, I loved the one where you were nostalgic and talked about the history of fandom. More of that would be fascinating. I only have one suggestion slash criticism. Sometimes the voice levels are a bit off so that one person is quiet and the other one shrieks in my ear. Sorry, the SPN car episode was actually better volume-wise. Uh, because we record over Skype, and sometimes there's a lot of us, and even sometimes when there's not a lot of us, everything is awful. <laughs> because, like, we don't we don't have any money coming in, really, from this. We get, like, a little bit from the shop that covers some of our hosting, and that's about it. Yeah. So, maybe one day when we get, like, a really rich sponsor... Or something like that. We'll worry about investing in better or more professional equipment. But until then, sorry about the audio levels. We try to fix them, but eh, there's like a limit to what our science can accomplish. Yeah. And these episodes are all really long. Yeah. As Uh, you can tell from this one. In terms of the Spanish history stuff, I feel like we've explored that one 
Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about that. I mean, maybe in another 10 years, when we are no longer recording Slash Report, <laughs> we can do like a, remember Slash Report? Here's a history of fandom. Don't hold me to that. That's not happening. <laughs> the Oscar Cat. Regarding How to Train Your Dragon 2, there are at least 10 books in the How to Train Your Dragon series by Cressida Corwell, which the films are based on, sort of, and the audiobooks are read by fandom favorite David Tennant, so that's another option if you want Hiccup and Toothless canon. Good rec. Yes. Who doesn't love listening to David Tennant? Me. Yeah, but you suck. Yep. Um, Veronica Rich. You can either answer this on your Omnibus podcast, if not you're recorded, or here if you like. Have you two seen Maleficent? Will you be doing anything on it? If you have, I haven't seen it yet. Thanks. Um, I've not seen it. I don't plan on seeing it. Neither do I. <laughs> this is a thing where, like, before it came out, I thought it looked great. And you, there's, like, a... One of the ways that I judge whether or not I should see a movie is the Tumblr timeline. So, like, if leading up to a movie, Tumblr is freaking out, and then the movie comes out, and there is silence, I assume that means it was bad. And that's what happened with Maleficent, at least on my dashboard. I don't know. I just, like, first of all, like, I'm not really into... I know that, like, a big thing is the villain narrative. I'm, I've never been super, super into that. Um, so, it already had that mark against it. Mare, who I trust, says that the movie was great and exactly what she wanted, but I don't, like, but given the fact that I don't want a Maleficent movie, or, like, I've never really cared that much about it, I just don't know that, like, it's worth my money. And, like, sadly, in New York City, if I'm, like, going out to watch a movie, like, I better either be really committed or I was gonna go see it no matter what, and that and Maleficent is not a movie that falls into that category. I'm not spending $16 on something I'm super ambivalent about. <laughs> I also have a bunch of people I know in real life saw it, and they had very mixed reviews or strongly negative reviews. Interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's complicated. Yeah. And uh, we only have two questions left. Praise the gods. Two and a half, if you want to count it that way. 20-something. <laughs> How often do you think about murdering each other? Be real. Constantly. Constantly, like Mycroft. And yes. her follow-up, what if my question is just scrotums? I would tell you to get that scrotum out of your mouth. Just stop sucking on every scrotum you see, 20-something. God. She, she can't help herself. She just has to put her mouth on it. I, I know. Like, every time she sees a dick, she's like, where's the scrotum? I'm, I'm all about that. Just, like, closing up into that wiry dick hair. Sweet, sweet scrotum. Yeah. I mean, like, she has a problem. She knows it. Her family knows it. We're trying to get her help. Scrotometers Anonymous. They're working on it. I know. Uh, and then our last question from Alphatalia Hale. I know you weren't the biggest fans of Pacific Rim. Understatement. <laughs> I know. I'm curious if you still think it's terrible, if anyone wrote you that soul-crushing Supernatural AU crew asked for, and what your reaction's been to the announcement of the sequel if you gave it any thought. Okay, can I start? So, yes. This is a thing where, until I saw this ask, I didn't know that they had announced a sequel. All I knew is I had seen a tweet by you crew that just said, blacklisting Pacific Rim immediately. <laughs> 
so that sort of leads us into my answers to this question. Um, sadly, no one has written me that soul-crushing supernatural AU, which is really upsetting because I think that that makes perfect sense. I think that it, Castiel should definitely fall in love with the pieces of Dean that live in Sam's drift, and therefore they're so never going to be together ever, forever, ha 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 ha. Um, but uh, as to whether or not I still think the movie is as terrible as I did before, I have to say, honestly speaking, I hate it more now that I hated it immediately after the movie came out, because I don't hate that movie, right? Like it's an actual media object. I am at best ambivalent, ranging to negative about that movie. I don't think it was anything special. Like I thought it was like, nah, whatever. I thought the world building was interesting. I thought that the plot was absolute garbage. Um, and I basically thought that, like, every actor, it, like, not every actor, but, like, it, it was unfortunate that it hinged on the dude playing... Riley? Riley? Which one was that? I don't know. His name started with an R. So basically, there were two problems with that movie in terms of the lead actor. There were, like, two white dudes who I found indistinguishable from each other, and I didn't even realize there were two separate humans until three quarters of the way through the movie. And um, he's just terrible. He was so bad. I would have been more entertained watching Toast trying to act. Uh, it was not good for me. I liked the I liked some of the other stuff, but I came out of that movie being like, whatever. It's like a summer action flick about robots killing like sea monsters, right? Like it's fine. And then, and then fandom decided that like this was the most groundbreaking, like innovative, like diverse movie of all time. And my opinion grounded in the fact that as an actual Asian woman who would be interested in seeing actual Asian woman representation in a movie was constantly like dismissed as like, Oh, well, like what does that bitch know? Right? Like that's the part that I'm like, Oh my fucking God. Like this movie drives me crazy because people tout it as some sort of like paragon of representation. And it's not, it's not, it's not. It plays into every fucking stereotype. And, like, it breeds the stereotype as, like, oh, in, in the end, it's all true. She had to get rescued. Like, I just, it drives me nuts. And it also pissed me off that, like, in a movie that is about Asia, right? It's called fucking Pacific Rim. There's nobody in the leadership who appears to be Asian. One of the dudes that has a Japanese name is like a weird looking white guy who is like very famous for playing weird looking white guys. All of like the sort of grunt labor was Asian. Nobody other than Mako Mori had a speaking part was fucking Asian. It's called Pacific Rim. What are all the countries on the goddamn Pacific Rim? It was set in Hong Kong. This movie is garbage. And the more I think about it, the more I'm angry. So that is my response to your question about whether or not I hate Pacific Rim still. The answer is yes. And I hate it more with every passing day. Um, I felt less strongly about it, but all of those points are valid. I did not enjoy it. I think <laughs> I paid too much for it when I saw it. I paid $7. Oh my God. Um... <laughs> But that said, I will probably go and see the second one as long as I can only pay $5. You could not pay me enough money to support this goddamn movie. Like, I here's what I know. I know that they're making a sequel, which, like, fuck that. Well, I'm and curious, I know like, that, what the fuck sequel is this going to be? 
I don't fucking care. And then they're also making an animated series, which would actually probably be the better of the sh- of the products, right? Because animated shows are typically done. I don't know. Like Batman and Superman was such a great animated series. Yes, I've like really disliked most of the movies that have come out of that. So like, hopefully the hopefully the Pacific Rim animated series will be good. Maybe there will be some actual Asian people in it. Maybe. I don't think so because let's not be crazy here. But but I'm sure that like everyone in fandom will decide that it's really representative either way. <laughs> and my opinion will continue to be like ignored. <laughs> yeah. But I have good news for you. What? After two episodes of Ask Us Anything, I just emptied our Tumblr box. Woohoo! I know. We're done. We're done! I guess you guys can start sending us questions for future episodes, but, like, God knows when we would ever get to them. That is very... Um, thank God we're finished. I'm so hungry. I'm so I have hungry. to leave and find food now. So, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to us rant. And I'm sure that you guys are fired up writing us hate mail as we speak. <laughs> uh, so, if you are trying to figure out where to send us that or send us your flame tweets, we are on Twitter at Slash Report or on Tumblr at Slash Report as well, even though we don't post anything on our Tumblr. Um, if you want to find us individually to spew individual hate, MK is at Moon Klutz, and I am at Often Imprudent. And with that said, we will catch you on the flip side. Bye! Bye.